And that does give you a certain power in terms of how people perceive you because I almost feel like I can blend pretty much anywhere especially with how like globalized and integrated the world is welcome to deeper dish welcome to deeper dish this week we have Inez and Kathy who host the show XX Will Travel. As you can imagine, we spend a lot of time talking about travel and it's awesome. They have some amazing experiences and they've seen the world twice over. I'm lucky enough to have them on my show to talk all about it. So sit back and relax. The emergency exits can be found at the front and rear of this episode. Dear guests, Enjoy. here are some instructions to ensure your safety on board. For takeoff and landing, put your hand luggage in the overhead compartments or under the seat in front of you. Please ensure your hand luggage in the overhead compartments will not fall out when it is open. Exits must be clear of any obstructions. Welcome. To my show, I really appreciate it. This is Inez and Kathy of XX Will Travel, the podcast for independent women. So before we get into your podcast, though, <laughs> I know you're excited to talk about your podcast. I want to know like your connection to Chicago because you have the two of you have different routes. What's your connection to the city of Chicago? For like my high school years, I spent them in Rockford, Illinois, and I wanted to go to school in the big city. There's like eight different Rockford schools out there, right? right? I was actually right outside of Rockford. At oh, you're not even Rockford. It's like, like you say Rockford, but it's like a... It's Roscoe. Roscoe. Okay. <laughs> Hananiga High School. So I ended up at DePaul. So I was riding my bike here and having flashbacks like, all these bars I used to go to. And I left after college for two years. I lived in Japan and I came back and I was like, I'm going to leave. Like, I'm just going you know the city i've had it and i am still here <laughs> so you left and you came back was there a particular thing that made you leave the city it was more of a career motivation because i did not want to spend my life in a cubicle which surprise is what i'm doing now right. bills are real yeah <laughs> bills, idealism is cute right so yeah that's my chicago story you didn't go too far away you went to japan and came back right okay mm -hmm. inez you? Well, I was living in New York before Chicago. I was in grad school there and I, I met a man um, who was also, well, he was in law school, but he was from Chicago. So we dated for three years while both of us were in New York. When he graduated law school, he came back to Chicago because that was his plan all the time. So we did the long distance thing for two years and then, which was actually fine. But on the other hand, I'm divorced now. So maybe that's why it was fine because yeah. it convinced me that I could get along with him. <laughs> But anyways, yeah, so at some point, you know, I really wanted to withdraw from my graduate program because I had decided that academia was not for me. I was kind of over having a long distance relationship and just wanted a fresh start. And it was around the time that me and, and him were talking about getting married. So, you know, we decided to kind of get married. And when we did, I moved to Chicago because it made sense. You know, he had his whole life and career set up and I was floating. So I was married for about three years and that kind of imploded and... It took about two years from like me separating and me getting like legally divorced. And obviously, like I wasn't really planning on leaving during that time or anything. And now that that kind of is all over me, I just really don't have plans to leave mostly because I think I'm just kind of coming out of the fog from all that. Yeah, no doubt. There had been so much change in my life that like even thinking of should I be in Chicago or not had not even crossed my mind. I think it's only now that I'm starting to wonder, but I like it here. Like, I feel like I've built a good community. I like the lifestyle I can afford to have here and, you know, the connections I've created. And I spent most of my life moving around and I never minded moving around. So it's not a matter of I need to establish roots somewhere. On the other hand, this is the first time in my life where I can actually decide to stay somewhere. So I find that very exciting and intriguing for me. So we'll see We'll see how long I stay here, but for now yeah. I'm okay. I find that when people come out of like an emotional experience 
a lot of times you're not looking to make grand plans. Sometimes people do, but you're really looking for just like stability. And then, like you said, you go to school, you make decisions like, oh, this is the best thing for the next thing. This is the best thing for the next thing. And then sometimes you just don't have the next thing. You're like, okay, what do I? It's actually liberating and a freedom. Like I can do whatever I want to do. And sometimes that thing you do is like right here. Like, oh, I just want to be here. But you're not from Chicago. No. You're not from New York either. No. <laughs> Where are you from? I'm from Peru. <laughs> okay. That's a huge, a little bit different than New York and Chicago. Yeah. All right. So when I hear folks are from different places, even Rockford, I always think, okay, what keeps them in Chicago? Because Rockford is quasi-suburb of the city, right? Kind of. But a yeah. lot of people, they come, they get their taste of the city, and they go back. And a lot of people, they come to Chicago from New York. They go back to New York because it's a little bit more vibrant, or they go back home. What keeps you here? Well, my family's around here, and that has become more important to me as I have gotten older. And I have a solid network of friends, and Inez kind of alluded to the cost of living. Like, I live a lifestyle here that I know I could not replicate in New York or San Francisco. I have a beautiful apartment, you know, I go to Broadway plays. I have access to all the cultural stuff, but at a really good price, you know, in terms of finance. So that's a reason that I stay here. And my, you know, my family takes priority over that. Clearly overseeing Hamilton. But what keeps you here? What keeps me here? It's interesting. I lived in the States when I was a kid, mostly in the, you know, the suburbs of New York City and the suburbs of D.C. Whenever I've been in the States, for the most part, it's been on the East Coast. So in a weird way, even though... I am from, you know, this exotic locale of Peru. The United States to me just feels very comfortable. And I think part of it is simply because of my childhood here. It's kind of those formative years. I liked living in those places. There is something to say about sharing maybe the same references with people from your childhood, which I don't necessarily get in other areas. I have been wondering what keeps me in Chicago and... I think it's the place where I've most grown, to be honest. Like, I loved living in New York, and it was very hard for me to leave it. And all these complaints that people have about the city, I didn't really feel it. Like, I don't mind living in a tiny apartment. I like the noise. I never noticed the trash situation until people in Chicago pointed it out to me, and now I do. <laughs> when I was living there, I'm like, it was perfectly normal for me. You know why people point out the trash in New York versus Chicago, right? Because of the alleys? Right. But the next step is, okay, why does Chicago have alleys? Because Chicago has alleys because when the city got burnt, like it burnt to the ground, they said, how can we build a better city? Oh. A cleaner city. Uh. <laughs> like uh, a city that like doesn't spread diseases and, ger and germs. And so they put alleys so that the garbage wouldn't be about like that filthy place, New York. My wife is from New York, so I just oh, I give, okay. her, I give, I give her shit all the time. So Chicago got a do-over. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like from, from tragedy rose this greatness. Yeah. Rose alleys. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the reason why I'm not necessarily compelled to go back to New York, which I always thought I would, you know, I remember moving here and it's like, if anything ever happens, I'm just going to like get the hell out and go back. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of it honestly is... I think New York tricks you into thinking you're doing what you want to do, but for the most part, it's just you living in New York. And I'll explain that a little bit better. How I compare sometimes my experience with, especially the writing community, since I'm a writer in New York versus the one in Chicago, I'm not going to say that there isn't more opportunity in New York because there is, there's, you know, publishing center, editorial center, all that. On the other hand, though, you get a lot of people who are there that say they're writers or that they're trying to be writers. But in fact, all they're really doing is just kind of waiting tables and not really working on their craft. But they're not really like trying to get out there. But I think in New York, you get the Stockholm syndrome where because you think you're in New York, that's enough for you to make your dreams come true. What I see in Chicago is people doing the typical Midwestern thing of it's like, hey, what are you doing? It's like, oh, I'm an accountant. And you're thinking, oh, my God, this is the most like boring person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and then but then the more you talk to them, you realize that, OK, so that might be their day job. But then they might be like amazing hip hop artist on the side or they exactly. actually have like an art exhibit. They're just not boasting about it because they are more focused on the work and the discipline right. than it is in like. I'm right. the next Carrie Bradshaw. Right. Um, and I think for me, that's good. 
you know, at least for me, it helps to kind of be surrounded by that energy as opposed to the New York energy of it's like, my life is amazing because I live here, but that's literally the only interesting thing about you. My wife, she describes it best. Chicago is New York without the edge in both good and bad ways. But she says she lived in New York and you meet some people. And the first question he asks, what do you do? She lived in Chicago for four years and she was introducing her friend to another person and she wasn't there. She's like, hey, I want you to meet my friend, Christina. And her friend, her her friend said, oh, what does Christina do? Because she was from the East Coast. She goes, what does she do? She goes, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like she had known her for four years and didn't know. And she knew where she worked and she knew she had a good job, but she had no clue what she did. And so I feel like Chicago is it has that Midwest feel. It's like, oh, you, you do your job, but you're more than just your job. And whereas out of New York, sometimes it can be about you are what you do. You're an investment banker. You're going to hang out over here. You're going to do this. And the other thing I would say about Chicago that I love about it, because I, I like to experience Chicago as a as a native, but also as a tourist. So I'll go do like the touristy things yeah. just to do it <laughs> on a random day, is that I could go to any bar, any restaurant, and sit next to someone and just have a conversation with someone I don't know. Yes. And I don't feel like a lot of other cities give you that kind of like that privilege. In New York, they'd be like, why are you fucking talking yeah. to me? <laughs> but I do think that in New York, we all can find our spot. But yeah. it is it is a little bit faster. It is a little bit edgier. I mean, in terms of just the the energy about it, there are things I sometimes miss about New York. Like I do... I do kind of miss more the fringe elements, you know, the maybe the wackiness. It's very hard to compete with a city like New York because it's just like a world onto itself. Right. On the other hand, though, it's true that you can kind of be like whoever you want to be, which is great. But by the end of my time there and just looking back, it can also be kind of a little constricting. How do the two of you connect? And then that's going to lead into my next question is you connected and typically, it always starts with a drink and then you do a <laughs> podcast. But how did you to connect and how did you all meet each other? I had heard about Inez through a mutual friend. And she was like, oh, you have to meet Inez Bellina. <laughs> and then we both were wrote for the book section of Gaper's Block, which was an online, local, hyper-local news. Like website. Yeah. yeah. And uh-huh. arts. And so I met Inez at a mixer. Yeah. And then a third friend of ours, another mutual friend, I wanted to watch the World Cup games in 2015, 2015, 2014, 2014. And my friend, our friend, Kenna, was like, oh, yeah, let's go watch them together. And Inez wants to watch, too. I think that's how it happened. And so then we decided to go see a real soccer game. So we took a bus. There were drinks involved to see the Chicago Fire play. And on the way there, I was like, I want to start a travel podcast because I need a space to talk about travel without having people roll their eyes and without feeling like a pretentious asshole. Yeah. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. (laughs) Wait, who rolls their eyes at someone that likes to travel? Lots of people. Yeah. What, seriously? Yeah. Why? Because it's seen as kind of a pretentious thing. Like, oh, there's Kathy. She went to Barcelona again. And it's a financial thing. Like, I think there's a lot of resentment. Oh, I get that. I get that. And I think it's different ways of eye rolling. Like there's that resentment, the, you know, the idea that only certain people can do it. And then there's the like, maybe not so much the rolling of the eyes, but the idea that because we are women, we are being foolish about, you know, we are being foolish for doing it. So it's like different types I, of eye rolls. I don't get the woman thing so much. I get the like, oh, here she goes with one of her stories. I'm going to go get a drink, you know. Here I am tied down with this family. I can't go anywhere. Right. Uh, exactly. For me, it's actually the opposite, though. I get the women stuff. I mean, I have heard some of the like, ugh, this pretentious a-hole, you know? But for me, it, that has been a lot less. But the whole, like, women thing has been more. Well, maybe it goes back to the Midwestern thing, too. Because, oh, be. like, yeah. you don't talk about your, like, oh, my gosh, I had these amazing dumplings in, in Warsaw, you know? And people are like, well, I had amazing dumplings on the Northwest side <laughs> kind of thing. I had a punchki, you know? Exactly. <laughs> like, right over here at the bakery. <laughs> You know, why do you have to go to Poland kind of thing? We have Polish folks here. Right. right. They're waving their flags on the <laughs> Polish Independence Day. Yay, we have a know? parade. My wife and I, we lived abroad with no kids. Uh, we lived in Switzerland. But I also set up a blog when I was in Europe. Like 
Farad doing all this crazy stuff. It was called like Chicago Abroad, right? Mm. And it was CH because Switzerland is CH. Yeah. And I would like post like all these crazy things I was doing and I would come back home and like people would be like, oh, so what did you do this past weekend? And I'm like, going to Barcelona. I learned how to ski. Have you ever skied before? No, I learned how to ski in the Swiss Alps. <laughs> right. Like, oh, lucky you. I'm like, yeah. If you were doing it, I would be happy. Some of your good friends are like happy for you, but they're like, damn. Anybody that travels, any, anybody that does anything that's a hobby, mm-hmm. you make sacrifices. Right. right? So you're yeah. sitting in front of all this equipment. I sacrifice some things. <laughs> yeah. Right? Got, this is a trip to Barcelona or two. Mm-hmm. Right. You make sacrifices. They've made other sacrifices to do other things. I don't get the hate. Be happy. Let's celebrate my life. My right. wonderful life. Yeah. I want to celebrate yours. It is such an integrated part of my life now. I'm like, I just listened for two hours while you talked about potty training your kid. And that's your life. And you're my friend and I love you. And that's why I listen. So I'm going to tell you about my trip to Barcelona and you're just going to act interested. So I think it depends on where you're at in your life, too. Like, Usually we, we all hang out with people that are like us, that are in the same position. They might have different things. Some people might have kids. Some people might have dogs. But we're in the same place. You, too, could be doing this. Right. Right. <laughs> right? It's not hard. And, like, I love planning trips. I love helping people travel. I love being a resource. So I'm like, I can make it happen for you. Do you do that? I want to. I have a, I have a scheme. You met on this party bus to see the Chicago Fire. <laughs> yeah. The team that was slumping but is doing better now. When did you realize that you both like travel? I think it was pretty early on. Like, I can't remember a specific moment or a specific conversation, but I just, I feel like at least ever since I knew Kathy, I knew she traveled a lot. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how it came up, but I have the same recollection. Yeah. <laughs> so the podcast, right? It's called XX Will Travel, a podcast for independent women. Travelers. Women travelers. Help me understand, break down the name. Does it have a special meaning? Is well, it- Inez thought of it. In terms of the name, I just thought it would be cute to do something that had some thing in the first half and then the second half would be will travel and I was just speaking out loud and I said you know something like something like xx comma will travel but I meant xx as a placeholder for anything yep. else yep. and our friend Kenna actually was there like pointed out that xx is the chromosome for women uh. and at that point we had already decided to maybe have that be our target demographic I didn't, honestly didn't even pick up on that. Two other people picked up on that. One who was like, that's awesome. And one who wrote us a Facebook message and said we might be alienating trans women who want to listen to our podcast and aren't XX. Which we felt was a fair enough point. But on the other hand, we don't. You go just like, hey, these are tips for everybody. and But it's very obvious and very clear by all your, you, you bring on women guests. They know what they're talking about and... Some of them are very famous and it's very clear, but it's not exclusive. We replied and said, hey, if your friend wants to come on the show and talk about traveling as a trans woman, like that would be awesome. And people <laughs> who like self-identify as women, it's, we don't have a strict definition. Another thing I like about your show is that you give like good practical advice. It's hard for me to describe, but then you also say, Oh, like, what is it like traveling with your parents? So, like, you touch on the emotional part. And then you're like, oh, what is it like going to Nashville and Detroit? Which are, like, Detroit may not be a place. I lived in Detroit for, like, a year. Yeah. may not be what people think, like, oh, when I go travel, I want to go to Detroit. So you hit on, like, the geographical stuff, the domestic, international. Then there's an the emotional. Then there's, like, what to pack if you're just going on a beach vacation. Is that intentional that you all cover all that? Or is it just happens, like... This is the guest I got. Well, we have like three types of episodes, the how-to episodes, the city or country guides, and then the philosophical episodes. So I guess it is pretty intentional. We wanted to have a mix of all those kind of three things. I think where it maybe gets a little more happenstance is who do we know? What guests can we contact? What kind of resources do we have for this specific episode? So that's, I think, where luck might play more. But we do have a very clear idea of providing maybe those three kinds of content just because i think it's maybe the three main subjects that people look to when they're looking for travel advice and we need evergreen content so people can listen to the back episodes and they're still valuable and we try to appeal to a wide range of people because if you look 
on the travel blogs, it's all these people who quit their jobs to do these <laughs> round the world trips. And here's what you need to pack for nine months on the road kind of thing. And we wanted to make travel less intimidating, which is why we have like the how to pack. And our core audience is in the Midwest because that's just where mm-hmm. our people are. And so we focus on like Midwest destinations too. So it's not like you have to pack up and go to the south of France for two weeks. Like you can go to Milwaukee, like hop on the Amtrak. Go to Milwaukee for the day. Go to Detroit. Go to Rockford. I mean, there's nothing to see in Rockford except some beautiful Japanese gardens. But (laughs) it's still like go be out in the world kind of thing. And we're here to tell you how. And if you are one of those around the world backpacker people, we have stuff for you, too. Yeah, we have like, I think, a very holistic idea of what travel is, where it doesn't have to be the most exotic for this long destination, it can be right in your own backyard. But I think, and this is more something I realized when we started developing the podcast, then we focused more on just what the travel industry in general and the influencers are like. It is so focused on the early 20s, super beautiful, usually white Instagram lady who has her arms spread out wide as she's looking into an ocean. And how many people can seriously identify with that? That's not how I traveled even in my early 20s. That's not who I was. So we wanted to keep it to both kind of a very, you know, practical, normal lady level. Also with the understanding that ladies come in all sorts of ethnicities and ages and socioeconomic backgrounds, you know. So the two of you both go on these rants. But the one that stood out to me was like the rant about privilege, like traveling and privilege. It was, it was kind of like you don't really know how good you have it because, you know, some countries you can't go everywhere. Like Americans, we've been spoiled. We can go anywhere and everywhere. And for the most part, it's funny that on average, a lot of us don't. We don't leave like a 90-mile radius. But our passport gets us access to a whole bunch of places on the backs of a lot of work that other people have done. Well, the way I'm describing it now, it doesn't do your rent <laughs> justice. And so, like, you all do that very, very well. And I think it's important because you two are very different, right? You're friends, but you have different backgrounds, different makeup, and different things affect how you travel. And it comes out in the episodes. Your your podcast does a good job of this identity perception of how the, the host country receives you. In one of your episodes, you addressed that. Uh, they treated me this way when I was by myself, but when they saw me with some foreigners, they treated oh, me like a foreigner. Was that Guatemala? Yeah, yeah that was, was Guatemala. Guatemala. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that, though, too? How does where the host state or country perceives you, how does that play a part in your experience when you travel? The first time I ever left the country, I was 20 years old, and I went to Zimbabwe to study abroad. It was weird. There was a definite paradigm where I was... The blonde American. And it got treated very well because of that. But also also always a target for like robberies and scams and stuff like that. So there's definitely a duality there. And I lived in Japan. Yep. Also in a rural area as the like blonde American. And that was all positive. It is an interesting question. I guess I've never thought about that. It was all positive. Like people would point to me on the street and go, Meg Ryan. Or <laughs> Cameron Diaz. <laughs> like at my hair salon, they just called me Meg oh, for wow. Meg Ryan. And Cameron Diaz like did ads for an English school there, an English there conversation go. school. <laughs> yeah. So her picture was everywhere. And they're like, oh, that's you. And I was like, and it was after Charlie's Angels and... So like two really different experiences to your point is also class as well. In Zimbabwe, I was just assumed to be at the top of the heap. Wealthy ancestor exactly. of the colonialists. Exactly. It's good work if you can get it. Um, I can't get it. Inez I, can't get it. I don't know. <laughs> Go for it. It's really not. It's really not good no, work. No, I'm, I'm joking. Being a colonialist is not good work. No. Being an ancestor, you didn't do anything. I mean, you kind of didn't do anything wrong. Really yeah, wrong. like I can do that, like the white person defense where I'm like, oh, well, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. Right. You know, you can't blame me for what my ancestors did. So yeah, in Zimbabwe, it was like a very skin color thing and a class thing but in japan it was just like it didn't matter i could have been some bumpkin with no money at all and i was still elevated just by like the genetic lottery you know wow Inez, you probably have a different experience yeah well to a certain extent and i think i did mention this in in the guatemala episode i have what i consider to be swarthy privilege and it's like there's certain people that can kind of pass off for so many different ethnicities yep and 
countries and backgrounds that it gives you a certain protection when traveling. So like when I traveled in Europe, sometimes I was mistaken, you know, for Italian or Spaniard or Greek or whatever. And that helped. Sometimes people mistake me for, you know, Middle Eastern or North African or Indian, like as in from India. So sometimes that can also help. So as long as you don't talk, you're good. Obviously, like all across the Americas, it's kind of the same thing. So I'm one of those people that has kind of always been pegged as being from all sorts of places, with the exception of like Asian countries and Scandinavia. And that does give you a certain power in terms of how people perceive you, because I almost feel like I can blend pretty much anywhere, especially with how like globalized and integrated the world is. Maybe 50 years ago, if I had gone to London, I would have been like, who is this raven haired person? But now I honestly think I'd probably just be seen as someone who's there. But having said that, because I moved around a lot as a kid, I never felt like anywhere was really my home. And I always felt I stood out in some way. When I lived in the States, I lived in very, very, very nice kind of suburbs, your typical liberal upper middle class suburb of the States. And Bethesda. I lived in Potomac, which is right next to Bethesda, you know, and I lived in Greenwich, Connecticut, which is yeah. kind of its own mythical thing. And sometimes when I mention that, people are just like, oh, is it really hard for you being like Peruvian or Latina there? But the thing is, it's I almost felt like there was also more about class. It's almost because my father was a diplomat. It was very easy for me to be integrated. But I remember, you know, there were two kids from, I believe, either El Salvador or Guatemala. Mm -hmm. And like it was very well known that they were there because of some war and that the church had helped them and that they were poor. And like they were not as integrated as I was. I mean, there were obviously like certain like racist interactions in both cases, but it really was not as widespread as people think it would be for like uber waspy places. I think mostly because people are polite. I had two buckets of experiences when I lived in Europe and I got put into the athlete category or the North African fleeing Africa, especially when I went to Italy. In general, I didn't realize it until afterwards, until this experience I had in Italy, I feel the most unsafe in Italy, oh. uh, especially the further south I go. It's just it really varies kind of from country to country. And I think sometimes or at least sometimes speaking, at least with like Latinos who kind of grew up exclusively in the States, you know, and maybe they've been back to like their parents home country a couple of times, but haven't necessarily spent a ton of time there. And sometimes there is that longing where it's, oh, because I've been discriminated this way in the States or this, these are the struggles of my community, like maybe going back there will feel like going back home. And to me, I understand it, and I'm not saying it can't happen, but honestly, some of the most fucked up racist classes stuff has happened to me in Latin America. Peru is getting better, but I remember moving there like right after spending six years in the States where I went to the kind of public school where it's like Asian American Heritage Month. Let's all love each other. It's amazing. We all contribute. I left before all that idealism was broken. So I like come to Peru thinking, oh, yay, like we're all Peruvians here to come to an incredibly stratified society with the kind of nuances of who is acceptable and who isn't that I don't think most foreigners can really assess unless they've lived there for a very long time. I didn't quite understand why certain people were discriminated against versus others. Peru in general is very mixed in terms of people of Spanish descent with people of indigenous descent. And we do have a sizable Asian population as well, both Chinese and Japanese. And we also have, you know, like an African population. So the big thing in Peru is indigenous people are at the bottom of the social and class pole and the whole thing. The more kind of indigenous looking you are or may be, the more you will be discriminated against, which to me just sounded insane. I think from like a foreigner's perspective, because I've gotten this a lot, they will understand that that's what's happening, but they don't understand how Peruvian people can notice who is like more indigenous versus who is just mixed versus who is full Spanish. Because I think to the American eye, we all look very similar. And explain to it. be fair, we have ours too, right? When I was in college, it was like a running joke. You can tell where someone's like how they wear their hat or jean shorts. You're either from small town rural area or you're uh, African-American in the hip hop community. Like Those are stereotypes that are absolutely not 
true. Even in Chicago, like, how often can you spot a Trixie and just yeah. be like, she lives in Lincoln Park. No offense. Right. <laughs> for people that don't know, I live in Lincoln Park for another week. <laughs> but you're probably talking about more like also physical features and, and, yeah. and you're talking about the type of yes. jobs you folks might have. It's like a lot of physical features, but it's also a lot... Of Based on class, I mean, this is going to sound awful, but in Peru, what they say is that money can make anyone white. And to a certain extent, that's true. Is that a real saying? In Peru, it is. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> El dinero blanquea. Like, that's what it is. And basically, what they mean is that there's someone out there from some indigenous community that made enough millions, then he's automatically no longer indigenous. He now becomes an unofficial white person. Here, I'm Latina. I'm Hispanic. I understand, like, what my place is and whatever. Back in Latin America, I'm white. I have this weird binary in me. I listened to you speak to that in that episode about Argentina. Because that's another place where I've had a ton of fucked up stuff. <laughs> Just to give a little background, there was a, a there was a young lady, and I forget her name, but she did a she has a blog or she did a write up about being black in Argentina. Yeah, she wrote a book. But the way she made it seem is like there was a period where it was just like doing things to move people of color outside of Argentina. Yeah, yeah, which is weird, even weirder, because Brazil is right next door. and well, it Actually, it makes it easier. You're just like... Mm. We just shove them into Brazil. <laughs> Here you go. There you go. You're in Brazil now. Right? Yeah. But Brazil, like, you see every type of person. And just to yeah. go to that stark contrast in Argentina, you have to read the Ebony. It's an article from the 70s. Okay. And it's called Land of the Vanishing Blacks. Not only is it informative, but it is, like, so groovy. It's interesting not in it, like, yay, that's awesome, but it's just, like, that the whole dynamic that a whole group of people that they don't necessarily do it in, like, a, a mean way. It just becomes a part of their culture and their society, and gradually you just start to make the place less likable. The whole self deportation thing they like executed it you know yeah or, it, or sent them off to war yeah I mean. it's, it's very it's 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 very weird and it's very weird that a group of people in south america would just that many people would self-identify as being more european so i would consider you all professional travelers if you do a podcast about traveling you're professional travelers most amazing cool experience that you that you would not have expected well, can I give my lame answer first? So my brother is not a big traveler and he went to Hawaii for his honeymoon and he was like, you're never going to see a sunset like the ones you see in Hawaii. And I was like, whatever. I was like, <laughs> do you know how many places I was a pretentious asshole? Do you know how many places <laughs> I've been where I've seen sunsets that would blow your mind? And he was like, yeah, whatever. And then I went to Hawaii and I was like, okay, he's right. <laughs> I said the same thing. My wife was like, I want to go to Greece for our honeymoon, but we got married in October. And Greece, it was just not a good time to go to Greece in October. Yeah. And I said, uh, okay. She's like, Hawaii. I was like, that's cliche. Everybody goes to fucking right. Hawaii. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go to Hawaii. Who wants to go to Hawaii? Everybody wants to go to Hawaii, but like, I don't want to be that everybody person. And we get there, I was like, this is awesome. It's just beautiful. Everywhere you look, and especially depending on if you go to like some like, like Kauai, there's yes. nothing around except for just beautiful stuff and things that might kill you. How about you? So I kind of have two answers. So one, I always, when people ask me my favorite vacation destination or the place I've liked the most when I traveled, I always say Vietnam. And I think it's because I went with very little expectations. It was more just a destination that I chose because with my ex, we were going to do like Thailand and Cambodia. And since we were there, we might as well add Vietnam. And was this honeymoon or was this, was this just No, this was while we were still dating. We just wanted to like take one long trip. I think I like Vietnam so much because, as you mentioned before we recorded, I am very much obsessed with food. I think part of it is because Peru is just has such a huge food culture that it's just kind of ingrained with you. Like we're all gluttons and we all eat and we always talk about eating and I found that similar vibe in Vietnam where it seemed like all the little carts and cafes and things were just amazing. And I think because I had not had experience with Vietnamese food, it was way more of a surprise than, for example, going to Thailand where the food was still very, very good. But I kind of had already, I kind of knew what to expect. But with Vietnam, I didn't. And just a fusion of kind of French and Asian. Um, I, I just loved it. But in terms of maybe more like unexpected cheesier type things 
I always feel like I first offend Argentina and then I tell Argentina why I love Argentina because I do. I think maybe because I spent, you know, my teenage years there. It's probably why I have this like weird love-hate thing with it. But a friend of mine invited me to her like house in the Pampas, you know, so we were in the middle of nowhere for a whole week. Literally all it was was like this ranch house and then like all the cows that they grew and just fields and fields everywhere. And we went outside once, uh, you know, at around midnight. We brought blankets to talk because we felt like doing that. This was when I was 16. And I remember looking up at the sky and we literally could see every single star, every single constellation. I had never seen a sky that pure. And I don't think I ever saw one as pure. Zero light pollution, probably zero air pollution, or at least very little. And it almost like lit everything up. Like we didn't even need flashlights. I'm just kind of like cliche American. I go to like the big cities, you know, I hit up Barcelona, Lisbon, Zurich, Berlin, like the big cities. But you all do big cities, but you also do cities that people haven't heard of. They're not places that a lot of people will go. Is that a different travel experience? It depends on why you are going and who you're going with. Who you're going with is huge. I have spent a lot of time recently in a tiny village outside of Oxford, England, because a couple of my really good friends live there. I'm god godmother to their son, so I like try and go once a year and see them. It's a tiny village. In the morning, all the kids and all the parents walk to school. It's pitch black at night. Like the moon shines in through their like patio windows, and it's just a much slower pace of life not a lot of people will get to see and i wouldn't have gotten to see except my friends that's their life one of the best experiences i had is when i was i was traveling i was going to meet my wife in london and then we were going to go to the arsenal match but i went to ireland and i ended up taking one of these cheesy little tours like 15 euro and it takes you out to the wicklow and i was sitting there taking pictures and i met these two girls from israel and uh, we started talking, and then we hung out every night, right? And we were, like, go to, like, drinking in Ireland. And they're, like, well, we're going to go back. We have to leave the next day. We're going to go to Oxford. And I was, like, I'm going to London, and I'm going to be by myself for a couple of days. So I flew back, ended up hanging out with them. So we had a great time in Dublin. It was awesome. It was the Green Bay Packers had just won a Super Bowl, and there were Packer fans at this Irish bar. These Irish bars, they get crazy, and there's a guy on stage that can play eight instruments, not very handsome, but all the women. It was like <laughs> it's straight, it's straight out of a, like a scene yeah. from a movie. So then we go back to London, and we start hanging out in London. I didn't realize in London that you know you have this idea that people are rowdy and crazy, but some of the bars just close at like 10.30. We had dinner. I'm like, we want to keep going, and the guy was like, well... There's a place up the street. You're probably going to see a 6'6", Eastern European-looking guy dressed in all black. <laughs> Tell him that Tom sent you. He'll let you in. I'm like, let me into what? He goes, he'll just let you in. It was like a pizzeria. But then the basement was a shady bar. The best way I can describe it is that you knew when you walked in that that it was the crim- criminal like element. It was just the shadiest experience and i tend to get myself into those situations when i'm traveling and you can tell that there's probably a back room that's like got like gambling going on you could probably buy drugs over at one point i just look over just because i do this but i'm with two women this could be uncomfortable for them and i'm like are you okay they're like oh no we we do this type of thing all the time in in israel it was one of the creepiest experiences Mm -hmm. but it was also cool because i had hung out with these two girls and one of them was super super conservative and the other one was super liberal so all i would do is like i would just throw hand grenades (laughs) into the argument and just like let them go we're having these big discussions about politics and geopolitical stuff and we're in this like real shady literally was a bad scene like we shouldn't have been in it in the basement that's my experience with london besides them not letting me in to clubs i tend to get myself into those situations like that but i i give you all a lot of credit for going to like i'm just the hiking the hike is not worth a view to me sometimes going out to the middle of nowhere oh i love the hiking it gives me such a sense of accomplishment 
Like the view. All right. That's dicey. That's iffy. Waking up is an accomplishment. I don't need hike. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love it. No, if you know, if a train dropped me off, these people like Machu Picchu and they hike five days for this one view when someone could just. I've been to Machu Picchu three times. Every single time I've taken the train. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I hiked it. We went to the highest elevation of the trail and I vomited and I was like, <laughs> badass. Like, gave you a badge too. Yeah. It's so, like you can feel really good. Uh-huh, <laughs> they did. One, I'm not very sporty. So I think a lot of this is kind of attracted by people who get a high from activity and I'm, I'm just more of a sloth like person. I mean, I'm big into beaches so i will like take someone tells me there is the prettiest beach in this country i will take the train the two buses the tuk-tuk ride or whatever it is just to get to that beach and then i'll lay out for forever but i think in part it's just like what attracts to you i mean i'm stimulated more by human activity and culture and civilization so i'm not even that big into like looking at natural wonders i'm glad when i do and i'm like oh this is why people do it but i think it's okay to embrace whatever it is you're attracted to and just focus on that yeah i think that's one of the biggest differences yeah in terms of travel style between us i just like going to a city pretending like i live there walking everywhere taking the metro whatever i, I just want to be i do airbnbs now i just get into a neighborhood i'm like i can just do a week's worth of research in between jobs recently i went to the pack northwest and i did vancouver portland and seattle i booked hotels in each place but i gave myself the window to be flexible i couldn't handle portland Oh, oh, I couldn't handle Portland either. It was like one big wicker park. The epitome of Portland to me, it was like 90 degrees. And we saw a man in a velvet tuxedo and a top hat riding over a oh, bridge. God. And we were yeah. like, what the hell? <laughs> like, Did you hear about their naked bike ride? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. They have more strip clubs per capita. Yeah, yeah, and they don't look like strip clubs. They look like <laughs> bars and they serve food because they made a law that you have to serve food in your strip club. No, so I was, I was at the fancy hotel, supposed in Portland. Mm-hmm. I got it on like a really good rate because I think I was in there in the middle of the week and it was I don't know something on kayak. A friend of mine from college lived there and he's like, oh, I got married at that hotel. And I go in to check in. Actually, I get out of my car and I had just driven from Vancouver because I was going to Vancouver, Portland, back up. I get out of my car. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's six hours, five hours. It's a long drive. I'm just wearing a polo shirt and jeans and like flip flops. I get out of the car and the, and the guy's going to, you know, valet my car. I go, hey, I'm hungry. I just want to a restaurant to get something to eat. He goes, he goes, what are you into? I go, anything, just food. You know, like what's Portland? He's like, well, the way you're dressed, oh. fan- fancy, you're dressed like fancy. Like, and he wasn't joking. It wasn't like a joke. Yeah. He's like, the way you're dressed really fancy. There's a four star. Re-. I'm like, what? <laughs> so then I go, okay. I go inside. And I'm like, I'm still thinking like this. That was weird. Is he joking or is he serious? Cause you know, sometimes people like make fun of the way you are. Like, yeah. yeah. You should go here. I go inside. The people just looked like they were wearing uncomfortable costumes <laughs> behind the desk. And they had tattoos. And they were trying really hard to cover them up with their uniform. Oh, and they just looked uncomfortable. And I was like, are you uncomfortable? She's like, I just hate wearing this uniform. I just want to be out. Doing. I'm like, okay, <laughs> Portland. And I usually love cities. You can vibe with the people and... I just felt like I wasn't hipster enough. I feel exactly the same way. But like a 30 minute drive outside of Portland and you're like in the forest. Yeah, and they, it's I amazing. I've never been. I have my own issues with the West Coast. I've never been to a city in the West Coast that I've really liked. I do not like L.A. I hated Seattle. Hated it. And then San Francisco, I was there for a day. So maybe I could like it. Food experiences, best ones, least favorite ones. Not bad ones, but least favorite ones. Like, it doesn't have to be one location. We know you hate the West Coast, so it's probably something like you hate the West Coast food. Or I was not impressed with the food in L.A. No? I thought it all sucked with very few exceptions. Even the tacos? I just felt that in Chicago, I could get just the same good quality tacos, so it didn't blow my mind. The, the one thing I would say, though, is because obviously in L.A., there's big just Latino population in general. There's a bigger Peruvian community there, so I've actually gotten very good peruvian food in la Mm. but i like places where i can just kind of wander in somewhere and get a good meal la is not one of those cities you really need to know where to go so it's not like you can't find great food in la but you really need to go with your list of recommendations from trusted friends i would say like costa rica not a place you want to go for food they just really don't have any sort of 
great local cuisine. They basically have the same dish that they kind of serve over and over. Great smoothies because they have very, very good fruit. And in terms of exciting food scenes, this is not me being biased. Peru for sure. Lima is probably the best city. A lot of people are starting to go to Peru. Right as they're closing down Machu Picchu. Are they closing it down? Yeah, it's sinking. Partially because there's so many tourists. I want to say up until to the year maybe 2000, no one went to Peru. Seeing a foreigner in Peru, what I remember with my mom, I'd be like, oh my God, there's a foreigner because it was really such a rare sight. And then all of a sudden, you know, things in the country stabilized. First, we got the adventure South American travelers, you know, like the Argentinians and the Chileans who started to wander in. Then we got the Israelis after the military coming in. And then we started getting kind of the adventurous Canadians and Australians. And then at some point, it just like exploded. And it's been very good in some sense. Obviously, it's helped with the economy. It's helped, you know, with development. But at least in terms of Machu Picchu, it's getting to a point where it's actually like causing havoc. And they discovered another city, which they're restoring and like cutting out from under the jungle. So I think they're going to try and market that. Is it Choquequirao that you're thinking? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of discovered like... I want to say like in the 90s, people in Peru already knew about it, but it's way more difficult to get there. So my whole spiel or issue with that is there's so much in Peru. Like we have coasts, we have mountains, we have different cities, we have jungles. The Peruvian government is doing a terrible job of telling tourists that there's more to us than Machu Picchu. Like any sort of tourism, Machu right. Picchu, Machu Picchu, Machu Picchu. So it's almost like a problem we've brought upon ourselves. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, the easiest way to the easiest way to get around that if, is is to slowly raise the prices right for mm-hmm. the permits and like not not like make it 50 percent more yeah because then you could just ruin your economy because i'm assuming it may not be the biggest part but it's a probably a big part of your economy is the tourism right you know because as people come to Machu Picchu, but they also do other things they buy other items along the way they visit other places right yeah and so they could you don't want to but you there's a way to to make it like to reduce the traffic, you know, yeah. um, because you, you, you can imagine if for a long time, 10 people went there, you can kind of maintain the area, but when you get tens and thousands of people come in there, it, just like brushing up against the leaf, it, it just starts to have a effect, right? And yeah. it just start, you know, like you start to make man-made paths where there weren't, you know, it just... You know, yeah. it just happen. It just happens. You start to change a little bit of the ecosystem and and, and you know, kind of that environment. It just it just happened. And I mean, a lot of the trails that you know are used. I don't know how it's working now, to be honest. But I know yeah. that at least initially, a lot of the trails that were used, you know, for people that wanted to hike to Machu Picchu, are like the Inca trails. These are trails that the Incas created. So right. it's kind of the same thing, where it's like, well, ten people going through the trails can be sustainable. But when you have thousands and thousands of people going through this. Right. You know, I can imagine it being pretty wow. destructive. Yeah. Okay. So foods. I am in love with Jordanian food. It's typical Middle Eastern. It's falafel. They have shawarma, except their shawarma is baked and cased in dough. Oh. So it's like corn dog, a corn dog of shawarma, <laughs> except it's like phyllo pastry. Yeah. And they have some spice that is... Oh, gosh. What's it called? It begins with a Z. Zatar? Yeah, that I'm starting to see on all the food blogs, which is like a mixture of like parsley and sumac and all this deliciousness. So that is really good, too. And it's super cheap. Is there a cuisine that you saw in one of your trips and you're like, oh, that, that was good. That was amazing. But now it's like it's really hot. I've never been to the Philippines, but I have lots of Filipino friends in New Jersey. I was like, Filipino food is amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And now it's like the thing. Like we have Jollibee in Chicago, which is a Filipino chain. There is a huge Filipino supermarket that just opened. So I think like that shows me that you don't have to travel abroad to see the next trend kind of thing. You know the thing that's blowing up right now? Poke? One of your guests mentioned it. Oh, Rose. When yeah. she was in Hawaii. Yes. And that was a year ago, right? Yeah. That episode was like a year ago. And now Poke is like, it's huge. It's the thing. Like, it's really a thing. Like, their entrepreneurs are like, I want to open up a Poke shop. Up until like three weeks ago, I didn't know what Poke was. <laughs> Japanese food is just always, oh, it's so good. And we were hanging out in Tokyo and we had gone clubbing. 
the night before and I was with my business associate. She was paying for everything and a bunch of friends. So he had gone clubbing and she's like, oh my gosh, you have to go to the fish market. It's called Tsukiji and it's a fish market that's been there since the 1400s. They recently have started to move it because they want to develop the land underneath it. And so if you go there at like 5 a.m., you can see the fish auctions where they like auction off like 100 pound blocks of tuna that they've just pulled from the ocean. And then you go eat sushi, like the freshest sushi I've ever had in my whole life. The rice was still warm. The fish was still warm because I think it was still like it was from a fish that was alive two hours ago. (laughs) Your experience and your opinion of traveling with parents or family oh man oh there's the best of times and the worst of times i don't travel with them like i told them you take the train i'll fly i'll meet you there i refuse to travel with them i love traveling and being in the same place as them not on the same flight not on like the whole like the odd couple bickering <laughs> like I, I just don't need it how about you guys i mean i'm okay with the traveling aspect but i mean with parents with parents but your parents travel so much yeah but i was gonna say that in my your situation a, your, your family is a professional is, traveler exactly so there's a lot of things that they just kind of either already know or do better than i do so in terms of planes airports whatever they have that down I think what I'm struggling with now is just the fact that they are getting older and just older means that they're getting more picky. Things are more difficult. Slower. Slower. You know, they're not into walking around as much. My mom will for sure. Like if I mention something like, oh, hey, I was a guest on this podcast. Just mentioned offhandedly, she will use the power of Facebook and social media to find out exactly when I was a guest on, who the podcast is, who you are, <laughs> who Kathy is, everything about their backgrounds. She will like have yeah. a whole FBI file information, but she still has not learned the power of Google. I've been in situations with her where we've been traveling and she's like, where shall we eat? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Just like go on the internet and look something up. And she'll just stand there frozen but what website should I use? I'm like, just Google it. She's like, but then what I put on Google? I'm like, oh my God. That is a little bit the challenges. Traveling with family and because you want to do what you, at your own pace. Right. It's probably because I'm an only child too. And sometimes you need to understand who you're traveling with, how they travel, what they want to do because it could, it could definitely ruin your trip if you're not flexible. Here's the dark side of mm-hmm. my Iceland trip with my parents, which is really <laughs> not that dark. I just knew it would hurt my dad's feelings. It depends feelings. on what time of year. So my dad is a deacon in the Catholic Church. He's very into Catholicism, um, as is my mom, but not so much. And it was our last morning in Reykjavik, and my dad wanted to see this church, mm-hmm. a Catholic church in Reykjavik, which is not like... A cathedral in Rome, or... It's probably the oldest Catholic church in Reykjavik. In Reykjavik, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. It's probably just a cement slab building, so... <laughs> because everything in Reykjavik is cement slab buildings. So he really wanted to see this church. I don't know about your dad's, but my dad gets up at like 5 in the morning, like mm. every day of the week. So we're leaving at 11. He's dawdling around, and it's 9. And this church is a half-hour walk away, and he really wants to walk. I was like, take a cab. Oh, cabs are too expensive, which in Iceland is kind of true, right? So he's dawdling around. He His phone doesn't work, so he looks on mine. He says he commits the map to memory. <laughs> right. Well, I was going somewhere, too. I was going to the phallus museum, the penis museum in Iceland, <laughs> which is also worth a visit. So it was okay. like two totally different yeah. trains of thought. <laughs> Both very Catholic, though. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was going to say, like, two sides of the same coin. Right. Think you, about got it. A, you got a church. I'm going to go look at dicks. And I'm not married, so, of course, I've never seen one. So that's yeah. why I had to go to the museum. Right. He goes on his way. I go to the penis museum. I come back. My mom is just chilling, which is why I'll always travel with my mom. And she does whatever I say. So, like, <laughs> that makes travel easier. So, we're like, where's dad? And we see him coming up the the stairs. And he does not look happy. And I'm like, oh, did you see the church? And he's like, no. He talks about how he got all lost. And I said, did you go to a hotel and, like, ask them to point you in the right direction? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> did you ask someone on the street? No. Did you take a map? No. So he's, like, totally just pouting the whole day. So what did he do? 
he just walked around and got lost. And so we take this bus. We're staying out by the airport because airport is 45 minutes from Reykjavik. And I go to the tourist office to see what is good in Keflavik. And the woman arranges a whale watching tour mm. half off because it's out of season. And we're the only people on the boat. For like $60. So I like go and I like get my parents. I'm like, we're going to go see whales. And my mom gets all excited. And my dad is still super pouty. Um, and so my mom and I go. It's awesome. She thanks me for taking her on this trip. We are in the middle of a pod of eight dolphins that stay by the boat for like 45 minutes. It was magical. And the captain comes out. He's like, this never happens. They just leave. So we go back and my dad is still pouting. And he's like, well, how was your whale watching tour? Did you see any whales? And we're like, no, but we couldn't get too excited. We're like, but we saw eight dolphins. And then he was like, man, like he wanted us to have a bad time too. So then we get to England Oh, there's a long line at the airport in Reykjavik. And my dad is like, and we get to England and my friend picks us up. It's the same day. This was like the following day. He's still like bitter. Yes. (laughs) He's seen like a million churches. They're going back to Rome because they missed all the churches that last time. So my friend is like, oh, how's Iceland? I hear it's awesome. Everybody's going there. My dad is in the front seat and he goes, I don't understand why. (laughs) So I was like in the back. And you know how when you're in the back seat of a car and your parents are in front, you revert to your 10 year old self. I was like, dolphins. Geysers, penis museums, (laughs) horses. I find out later from my mom, my little brother picks him up from the, um, they took a bus from the airport. So he picks him up to drive them home. And he was like, how is Iceland? I hear it's amazing. And my dad's like, well, I wouldn't cross the street to go to Iceland. (laughs) (laughs) He hates Iceland now and will tell anybody. How like what a terrible time he had in Iceland because yeah. he didn't get to see like the poured concrete Catholic church. I have a story about my dad. This just reminded me. And this wasn't actually me like traveling with my dad. But my father went to China a couple of weeks ago on a business trip. And he was first in Beijing. But then he had to fly out to I want to say Guangdu. It's some Chinese city. It's about a city of 3 million people. It's so like for the 10th largest city in China, right? Well, no, 3 million people. It's more like it's a village, village? Right. for China. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't remember. I asked him why he was there. And I guess there's a lot of economic development going on. Yeah. In any case, that's why he was there. And, you know, I'm like, well, how was it? And he's like, ugh. I'm like, come on. He's like, no, I just like, I don't like China. I don't understand it. I don't get the appeal. And I'm like, okay, but is there anything in there that you found that maybe was interesting? He's like, oh, yeah, I did see something. And I'm like, what? They took me to a Catholic church. (laughs) 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 And he's like, yeah, we went up a hill. and There was a small Catholic church that was built there. And like when the Portuguese landed in like 1500s. And that was very nice. Oh, and some Chinese women told me that I told me that I was very handsome and that I look like George Clooney. So that's what my dad was like. He was Please. set for life. Right. But there's so, something about Catholic dads just wanting to see churches. Well, right. <laughs> Pretend like you're a tourist mm-hmm. in Chicago. You got two, three days in Chicago. Knowing what you know now, but being a tourist, what are you doing in Chicago to bring it back home? Mm-hmm. Well, my first recommendation to anybody is always the ladies' room at the Signature Lounge in the John Hancock building. Okay. Because it has the best view, the best, best free view of the city in Chicago. Hmm. And I guess the men's room, for what I hear, is not as fantastic. <laughs> um, um, I don't even know if the men's room has a view, but I did sneak a man into the ladies' room, and he was like, we don't have this. <laughs> Probably a White Sox game. Yeah, there Be- we go. I'm because a, I'm, I'm a Sox fan. Me too. <laughs> yeah. How did we end up on the north side? The Museum of Surgical Science. It's in, within walking distance of the John Hancock Tower, and it's like you like a, you like, you like the Hancock Building. Well, you know, <laughs> it's haunted. I'm kind of drawn to that sort of stuff. Oh, I didn't know it was haunted. It is haunted. Apparently, it's the birthplace of the founder of the Church of Satan, Anton oh. Lavey. Okay. And there's been creepy stuff. It's infested with black widow spiders. The building is in the shape of a. What is it? It's a pentagon. I'm not not even going to ask you how you know this. I'm just going to stop right there. So the Museum of Surgical Science is in the Gold Coast, and it's just like a history of surgery. 
Yeah. I would eat Mexican food. South side Mexican food? North side Mexican? Because there's, there's like this rivalry going on now. <laughs> I was unaware of the rivalry. The taco and all of the these meals we eat, we add all these things to it that aren't authentic. Like we basically make like a, put a whole salad on, on like oh. a taco. All right, Ines. Um, two or three days, Chicago. So in terms of big hits, I would go definitely to an architecture tour because I think it's just a great way of seeing yep. the skyline, the city, getting to know the history. Like you just pack in a lot in those two hours. And also the Art Institute, just because there's such like it has just has a beautiful collection. Yep. I would also check out the comedy scene and not just Second City, though. I would mm -hmm. probably... Either go or steer people perhaps to some of the more local things like the Lincoln Lodge, you know, that show, things like that, or maybe some of the smaller shows at either I.O. or Annoyance. I mean, we, we happen to live in a centrally located in, you know, in the country. We have good food because we used to have a whole bunch of different food companies and industries were here. One of my favorite places to go, and I always feel like there's not enough time in the day to like just conquer it is the museum of science and industry yes I mean, that that place is ginormous so if i'm here i'm doing the museum of science and industry i like the neighborhood thing i'm probably going to go up to the chicago botanical gardens up oh. yes um, food wise i would definitely go to pilsen because yeah. i don't, I don't mm -hmm. think i hang out down there enough <laughs> uh, I, I gotta I, I would do hyde park yes um hyde park is really underrated in terms of tourism yeah yeah, yeah. um and I would, I, I, I do this tour all the time when guests come in. The architectural, it's like you can, you cannot take that and not learn something yeah. or be impressed. Like I went on that tour three times in one yeah. summer because yeah. it's awesome, and I had a lot of visitors. And we had the only bad. I think we must have taken the cheapy <laughs> one. We didn't take the architectural foundation one. Okay. Um, and it, he was so bad that I was with my parents and, um, I started whispering to them like that building was built in 1814 <laughs> and by the end of the tour, people had turned their chairs around <laughs> and were listening to me. Deeper Dish is hosted by Farah. Intro, mixing, editing is done by Alyssa Moxley, produced by me, Farah, our outro was performed by From Beyond These Walls, and the song is City of Dystopia. If you want to contact us directly, feel free to contact us at deeperdishshy at gmail.com or on Twitter. Our handle is at deeperdishshy. Our website is www.deeperdishshy.com.